your language has to change every level you go up. But the interesting thing is you still have to speak to your team in the language you knew, but you have to create a new language to speak to your peers and to your Mm. superiors. And that's the hardest thing to do. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin, I have something for you. Have you not read Only Tens 2.0 yet? If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about, someone who's struggling with time and energy management, someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, We have put a free copy of Only Tens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy. If you're new to the podcast, one of the things that I do when I introduce a guest is I I want you to know why I have them on the podcast, why they're important to me. If you're not new to the podcast, you know that since I started the Rising Leader podcast, I've had people in my life who have helped me in my career, who have been role models for me, who have become friends. Uh, and colleagues, and have really furthered my world. Today is like really, really, really special because I have Beth Perlman on the show. Beth and I ran across each other when I was somewhat new to technology sales. I had st- I had, had success. I had had really good success. I'd already been on my club trips and and done that, but I still was new and didn't really know uh, what it was like to be completely successful and have the deep relationships with the executives that I needed to have to further the agendas of what I was trying to do. Beth was working at a place called Constellation Energy, which uh, was in the Baltimore, Washington area, one of the big, big accounts that people wanted to land. And in order to land the account, you had, to, you had to work with the executives. You had to work with the technical team. You had to work with consultants that worked with all of those people. You had to manage so many moving parts that for a new guy like me, it was really, really tough to understand. What wasn't tough was my relationship skills. I made relationships with everybody at every level. And I got to meet Beth Perlman. And when I met her, she was larger than life as far as her impact in the world. She was a woman that was at the top of technology in in some world brand companies. And you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, it's it's still rare here today. Back in the early 2000s, that was an anomaly. That was not something that you saw. And she navigated both leading her team, like her team loved her. Her team worked hard for her. She she was a trusted advisor to the CEO. She had her hands and her, her opinions and her influence all over the organization. And I was so impressed with that. And I was also so grateful that she decided she liked me and she decided she trusted me and the people that I brought in. And we created a friend, we created a, a professional relationship that as time went on, turned into a personal relationship and a friendship that I treasure for now over 20 years. So officially, 
Beth Perlman, my friend, is a managing director and CIO advisory at Think Consulting. Before that, she was working at Gartner as a VP and program director working with C-suite executives in Fortune 100 companies. When I met her at Constellation Energy, she served as chief administrative officer, chief information officer. She was a senior vice president. She was responsible for information technology, human resources, supply chain, real estate. Are you getting the picture that Beth had her hands in everything and that the, the leadership journey is one that's been her story. She does philanthropy. She uh, does advisory boards. She, she has her hands in helping other people up the ladder everywhere she goes. Uh, and now she's ours. Beth, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my, my pleasure to gush about you on a microphone so that it'll be here forever and ever and ever. Uh, so thank you for your friendship. Thank you for teaching me, you know, for decades and just, and being my friend and champion. I really don't know that I'd be who I am today without you and a handful of other people believing in me the way well, you do. I appreciate it. And you earned that trust and respect. And that's why we're great partners. Uh, so the people who listen to this podcast are like, Jesus, Mark, I, I do, uh, you know, like you really have made friends with some really substantive good people. I'm curious, how did you how did how did you decide that you didn't want to be a librarian, a teacher, a technologist? You wanted to lead people. How did how did that trans transpire? You know, when I started my career on Wall Street, I was just coming out of college. And by the way, I thought I was going to be like president of the bank like in, you know, two years, as you always think when you get out of college. And I started JP Morgan. And somehow I worked on systems initiatives in, in a business unit. And some guys like found me and they're like, you know, you really have a knack for systems. So why don't you go into the systems training program, which I did. And once I did and I came out, I was in a group working on some, you know, pretty important projects. But I had a manager who was the worst. Actually, it was, he didn't know how to build his team. He didn't know how to enable his team. He didn't know how to communicate. And and so actually what I saw made me want to go in and help people and not be treated the way I was treated. I did the exact opposite. You know how people say they have role models? I had somebody I didn't want to emulate. And so that's how my journey started. I never thought I wanted to manage big teams, but what happened was my job, my jobs kept evolving and I kept getting bigger and bigger teams. And it's, it's a, an interesting transition to go from being on a team to leading a team. And so that's a whole nother ball game. But if there's behaviors you don't want to emulate, don't and go out and create your own. Role. I like that. Role. So you became That's a leader because because you had a bad leader and you wanted to do it differently. I've actually heard that so many times. Yeah. Since you were promoted, you and I think you were promoted, moved up pretty quickly. I did. What were some of the challenges for you as your teams got bigger and bigger? What did hit you in the face pretty quickly? Well, first of all, when you're not a peer of somebody that you were a peer of, just even managing that is is very difficult, right? And you have to separate friendship from leading people, right? Work is work and play is play. That was one of the things. The other thing is you have to change your language. You're not talking the same language. As you move up, you're talking to people that are business people. So especially coming from technology. If I talk technology, their eyes would glaze over and I'd be and it would be, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. I needed to talk in language that they understood. So what were the business impacts of what, what I was doing? How did it, what did it mean to them and how did it impact them? So your language has to change every level you go up. 
up. But the interesting thing is you still have to speak to your team in the language you knew, but you have to create a new language to speak to your peers and to your Mm. superiors. And that's the hardest thing to do. How'd you learn? Where'd you go to learn? Was it just on-the-job training? Was it coaching and training? Was it books? How did you figure that out? Well, I hate to say this. I don't read a lot of these books because I don't, again, I like the concept in the book, but I don't want to emulate the book. So I went through this whole phase where everybody read Jack Welsh's Good to Great. Fantastic. It worked for GE, by the way. We know where they are now. But You have to take that and just say, I'm not going to put it into my company as is. What were the key messages that worked for that book? Okay. And in all honesty, it was probably coming together as a team and understanding what was important. So I got to the point where I sat on the leadership, the executive leadership team at Constellation. And what I learned was, and, and I actually worked for the CFO, and she really taught me how to translate tech talk into like business talk, you know, just working with her. So when we would sit in a meeting and we'd say, you know, the CEO said, the most important thing is to grow earnings per share by 5% per year. What does that mean to a technologist, right? So I knew that that translated into $3 million dollars either in revenue or cost savings, resulted in a penny in earnings per share. So then what I had to go, so I'm hearing this, right? I had to go back now and translate. How did that translate to technology? How do I enable the business? So anytime I would talk to the business, I'd say, okay, let's put in our strategy how we're going to increase revenue or cut costs because that's how we grow our earnings per share. So you have to observe, but it's a lot about connecting the dots. And the more senior you get, the more you have to learn to say, I call my head a sausage machine. I hate to say it. You get information from everywhere. You, you know, it's like putting the meat, you grind it, and then you get an output, which is easy to understand. So you have to assimilate a lot of information. You have to translate it then into the language. And it's really, I've had a lot, not everything's been a success. I've failed too. I've tried to get approval for things that people looked at me like, are you crazy? You're not talking my language, right? And I'd have to take a second pass and maybe even a third pass to get it done properly. But you keep going back. So let me slow you down real quick, because what I love is that you took responsibility for your communication. If they're not getting it, your enrollment skills, your your communication skills needed to up-level because you needed to sell them on, on an idea in the language they understood. Right. And, and to keep going at it in my language is insanity, right? So- I learned to evolve my language sometimes by trial and error, sometimes by working with my peers and seeing what was important to them. And by the way, I would form like coalitions kind of, you know, kind of thing when I needed to get something. So you try to use your influence and it's easier to get concepts passed and and discussed and elevated when you have your peers singing on the same sheet of music as well. So, you know, you just don't go in with an idea like fresh out of the, there's a lot fresh out of the, you know, out of the gate. You really have to do a lot of building, you know, I would say laterally before things even get elevated because you want people in your camp. So if you can convince them in their language, by the way, they have a different language than let's say even the most senior people because they care about something else. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're building, I would say maybe even your coalition so that you can accomplish what you need to do. So the meeting before the meetings, you know, and I call it stacking the deck. uh, I I never, I never wanted to walk into a sales uh, conversation, not knowing 
you know, the, the answer to a lot of my questions. Right. So uh, that that's, that's brilliant. So as you moved up, you know, these peer relationships became more and more important, didn't they? Yes. How did you learn to, you know, cause you're, you're, comp- you're competitive on one hand, you want your ideas, you want, you want your influence, you want to be seen so you can move up, you know, and get more responsibility again, but you also want to support your team members at the same time. How did you navigate both of those so I, I can talk about a project I, I did, and it was absolutely the most controversial. And it sounds so simple now, but in 2002, when you wanted to put in a stand, when you wanted to standardize like every, all your compute environment, and you work with engineers that all they want is the flexibility and they understand the technology, you right away are in conflict. And my team went on a roadshow. So we had this roadshow that we wanted to talk about what we were trying to accomplish. And I got to one group and they were the squeakiest wheel ever. And most people run away from the squeaky wheel. I embraced the squeaky wheel because if I didn't tackle that group, they would have sabotaged everything. Right. So most people say, oh, the heck with the person that's making the noise. I'm going to go to the person that supports me. And I was very clear in undertaking initiative, it is not going to be smooth and it life is not going to be rosy and we're going to have to learn together, but it's a journey we have to take together. So I was able to convince oh, hold people. On, hold on. I'm, by- so, I'm, so, I'm so sorry to interrupt you because that's one of the arguments I have with people all the time is it's a feature, not a bug, right? Like, like people, why does it have to be so hard? Why do I have to convince people of all these things that are good for them? Why do I have to? Because that's the job. That's what you. That's what you're signed up for every Your single day. Your job is day. more about influence than anything else. Beautiful, right? And you have to influence. And you know everybody's coming in with their own agenda. So you have to figure out what it is. Number one, they have a lot of fear. Address the fear. Mm-hmm. What are they afraid of? So in the case of engineers, they're afraid of losing control. Well, I basically said to them. I'm going to do this in the most controlled environment. If it doesn't work, we'll have a conversation and I'll take I'll, I'll start easing up on the controls, right? But just go with me on this journey. You're going to have to trust me. At this point I didn't have a track record. So this is one of the first big initiatives I t- undertook right out of the gate. Now, once you build credibility, it's easier to convince people because success breeds success. But that first big initiative you undertake is usually the hardest. Because trust me is not words that people like to hear, right? It's very hard to trust somebody. So everything is a negotiation, regardless of where you are. It's no different than negotiating a deal. You you have two camps. They might want different things. How do you figure out how to come together? But you good. Yeah. And the thing you sometimes the presenting problem isn't the real problem. Like you said, the presenting problem might have been some complaint with the engineers. And what you saw was underneath that was a fear of losing control. And you probably right. went from to from stakeholder to stakeholder, figuring out what was their real challenge with what you were trying to bring. Right. And that's what you have to address. And that's what we did by a negotiation. So that they wouldn't, I was not going to stop them from doing their jobs. Right. And the other thing that helped in this case is we went, if you reflect back after you do something, you should always reflect back and say, what did we gain from this? What would we do better? Because you always want to better yourself as well. And I think everybody that is impacted by what you do appreciates that you're reflective. I I think just building the relationship, coming back and say what worked for you 
when we did this, what didn't work for you. So next time we have an initiative, we can do better. That just builds relationship and trust. Absolutely. And so then you start forming your coalition kind of thing. So when you go into, you know, into executive meetings, you know, who's in your camp, who you have to address, what kind of obstacles they'll put up. And, and, and I think your job as a leader is to remove obstacles. And and that and that and barriers. People will talk about it that way, right? So, how do you remove them in a nice way, in a professional way, in a non-personal way? Hmm. Talk about uh, supporting your your team members. Now you're in the C-suite, and every decision is consequential. Everybody wants uh, influence. Everybody wants resources. How did you foster relationships on that level with your peers? Well, number one, the way I structured my organization, I was I was always available. So you you shouldn't be this person that sits at your desk and not be available to talk to people. But I also paired up people on my executive team, my team, to even be aligned with businesses so that they always had somebody they can go to regardless of, you know, it's not just about me. I mean, I needed people underneath me to also be able to represent, you know, our team and represent what we want to do. And so there was a lot of alignment we had to do even just as a team. So um, it's too much pressure just, by the way, as a leader to have everything rest on your shoulders. I couldn't make all the decisions. I couldn't do all the influencing. I needed everybody to be aligned so that as a team, we could go out and do this. Yeah. And I've, I've worked with leaders that, that part of the part of the challenge has been getting them to allow other organizations to talk to their people so they're not the bottleneck. Part of that is fear. It's it's such a tough thing to for an ego to let go of that and let things happen without you. Yeah. If the job gets too big, what are you going to do? Not sleep, not eat, not go to the bathroom? I mean, it's just it's you you. Some do some, some, and, and, and usually when I'm brought in, it's, it's, you know, this person is so talented and so good, but they're not going to make it because they're, they, they can't let go. Right. So I used to tell my team, this is not the Beth show. And when we're in a meeting and we decide something, by the way, we might not all agree, but we came to a decision that we all could go out and communicate. Right. And that we would be aligned because I didn't need my own team sabotaging whatever we were trying to accomplish. And I said to them, you can never use the words Beth said. You had to believe Ooh, this. So good. Because, yeah, this is not about me. I pay people well. You're paid for your brain. Right. And part of it is the way I even operate. I'm going to ask for forgiveness, not for permission person. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> So go do what you need to do. And if if you messed up, okay, we'll fix it. Like try to minimize the business risk. That's really what it's all about. Do what you need to do, but try to minimize the business risk. And so it wasn't that everything had a channel through me. If it, by the way, if everything had a channel through me, I would have never gotten promoted. Because if you're not viewed as being able to step into the next level, and if you're being viewed as the only person that's holding your group together, you're never going to get promoted. And so holding information as sacred and close to the vest doesn't do anything for you in your career. It hurts you. Yeah, I have have another question. The center of gravity of who your team is, is always a question, right? Is your team, like when you were CIO, was your team tech not, like was your team the people that worked for you and that was a fiefdom or was your center of gravity, your team was the C-suite 
and you were responsible for your people. How, how did you manage those roles? Because what you said was your people could never say that said. So when this when the C-suite makes a decision, you can't go back and say they decided this, even though I don't agree with it. You have to speak with one voice. Oh, no, I was. How did you manage that? Well, first of all, we had this no water cooler talk allowed. So I was mm. like, you cannot go to the elevator and now start whispering. That is so hurtful to what we're trying to accomplish. And it was a safe place for us to have the conversations together. And you could disagree. That was allowed. You had permission. I had to give people permission to disagree. That was a very big thing, too. Because when if you come from an organization that has any hierarchical kind of kind of background, and especially people, if you work with military people that are used to working in a very structured, hierarchical kind of organization, we basically had to give a lot of people permission to challenge and question. And they were allowed to say no and, in other words, offer another solution. So not only did I even work with my direct team, but we took it down a level and spent a lot of time influencing the next level down. So, you know, you ha- it's, you create a culture that has to penetrate your organization. It's not about individuals. I believe in high performance teams because any one individual, I mean, we, we can't build ourselves around individuals, right? And so there's, you have to influence your team and all the way down, you have to influence out and you have to influence up. So moving up the ladder is not easy. Right. So let's talk about being a trusted advisor because you, again, you do speak your mind. Uh, I do. And I, I want to say this delicately. Most, some people are way more political, way more peace mind. You know, like they 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 want peace and they want you know that kind of thing. And you know, so you're not you're not afraid of conflict. You're not afraid of speaking your mind, but you're also smart. So you're not going to be a bull in a china closet. How did someone with a voice like yours become uh, a trusted advisor to people who may have been you know who are welcoming and feel good about themselves and ha- and have that? that confidence and to also people who didn't have the confidence and were threatened by you. Like, how did you work with both of those types of people? Yeah. And believe me, people do feel threatened by me, although I like to think I'm a nice person. But anyway, I have to first tell you that no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like you. And I don't care, as my mother would say, if you stand on your head and spit wooden nickels, it's just not going to happen. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Doesn't mean you should not treat them any differently, but I think no matter what you do, you're never going to win them over. Okay, fine. You know, then the people that are in your camp, they, how do you become trusted is, I hate to say it, it's, you know, one hand washes the other. You ha- help them out on something, they help you out on something, right? And then you start working together and you build traction. So it's thing something that might take time, but it's also when you're, Uh, You look like you're paired up and doing something alongside of the person rather than one group doing something to another group. In other words, even in technology, when we did a strategy, I wanted the business to build in their technology strategy into the business. So we spoke with a single voice. It wasn't us and them. It was we. And that way, they also bought into it's not like, what is IT doing to me? It is, what are we trying to accomplish together, right? And so, again, I keep talking about this feeling of a coalition. There is working alongside of each other. So, 
I happened to have been in a department that people needed to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so it was really a matter of how do we work together? When I got into Constellation, there was an immediate conflict with the utility portion. Uh, they wanted to outsource everything, and I didn't want to because there was a benefit to the greater good. And that caused friction right away with the with the president of that department. Okay, we, And we never were aligned. Things changed when the president changed, right? But I didn't let up. I didn't change. It was actually probably much more painful than it should have been to work with that group. But I had to stick with it and I had my convictions. So, you know, you have to also remember people change. So you have to learn to, you know, stay in the game. If you're getting beaten up, don't retreat. (laughs) Try to figure out how you stay engaged. So how do you stay in the game? How do you stay in the game when you're getting beaten up? How do you healthily stay in the game when you're getting beaten up? Well, in this case, I could make a good business argument about why we should do what I was trying to accomplish versus what the, you know, and it was, again, a little bit of a, how do we look at things holistically versus how do we look at things for one particular group within, you know, the holding company, right? And so I could have easily lost out on that argument if the CEO said, you know what, let, let let this particular group do what they want to do. If that was the case, I would have just had to say, I'm going to let it go, right? Part of what, knowing what is important is what are the negotiables and what are the, these are fixed in stone. Don't, don't try to, don't try to move the stones if that's not negotiable, right? And work with what can be negotiable. So you have to learn to work within the environment that you're given, right? I happen to have been lucky that I was able to shape my job. And I think that's also important as you move up the ladder. Like you might think the job is one thing, but you can shape it the way you want to, right? Do I want to be an influencer? Look, I could have been a pure technologist mm-hmm. and just put my head down and worked on technology. But I was focused. And the only reason I was a CIO is because I was driven by how the business would improve or be enhanced by the use of technology. And that was the way I approached it. I was given the opportunity to shape that job because there was never, I was the first CIO. They had different heads of technology. So I was the first person that brought the group together. Had I not been able to shape that job, and I was told this job is a back office infrastructure, you're just going to focus on, you know, making sure everything talks to one another, the data, I would have been like, that's not the job for me. So part of, I think, is that's important as you're a leader is shaping the job, number one, to use your strengths, making sure that you're accommodating what the company needs to accomplish and not be in conflict. I mean, the worst thing to do is right away is to be in conflict with what you want out of life and what the company wants for you to do. How do you lose gracefully? So you, you know, you're working on an initiative. You really know it's the right thing to do. And the CEO and you know your teammates are like, yeah, that, that's not going to happen and it's not going your way. Sometimes it's just timing. So it's not that it's a bad idea. It's the wrong time. And it might have to do with what else is going on. Don't take it personally. Even Don't even think the idea was bad. It's it's not the right time or it wasn't communicated well or but but so how do you have to how do you have to go about your business once you lose a big initiative or a big argument and now you have to go back and lick your wounds and and readjust how do you do that a lot of times here's the problem i think i personally was in a very advanced and fast thinker people don't think as fast as you do so you have to remember not everybody is your carbon copy 
So people need time to digest, reflect, rethink, right? So I think you keep these things on slow burn working in the background and then give people time to process and get to your point of view. And I don't even care if it's your idea in the future, even though it was my idea, you can think all you want. But if we get what we want in the end, that's a win, right? So I don't, I, it's, it's okay to lose. Everything's a learning experience for me. It could have been the timing was wrong. I didn't present it right. Uh, there's other things that are going on in the organization that I don't know about, right? There's too much change going on. You know, there's a lot of initiatives. And so I would say don't lose hope. Could come up in a year or two, you know, maybe never. If I felt confident enough to present it in the first place, you know, that's sort of good enough for me, right? You, you would have been you would have been an, a great salesperson. <laughs> one of the one of the ways I know that you walked your talk is you took a chance on the technology I brought into the organization, and it was a big it was a big chance because it was a new technology, uh, and we did well initially, and then we had uh, we had a really bad hiccup, and uh, I remember you were like, "Shit happens." <laughs> You were like, how are you going to fix it? It was more how we address the hiccup than that we had a hiccup. And we had all hands on deck. We worked through it. We fixed it and everything. And that's what solidified the relationship. So you put your money where your mouth is. You Shit happens. I don't look back. I look forward, right? Always look forward. Whatever happened, happened. Happened for a reason. You know, nothing's perfect. Again, I always say, how do you minimize the business risk? Stuff is always going to happen. And I don't even mind if it looks bad internally, but it should never look bad to your customers, right? And just and just have to work through it, especially, you know, one of the times that my group really, you could see them shine is when we had to come together and work on a problem. It's very funny how organizations rise when things, something's wrong, but then when it comes to strategy and planning and influencing, they don't do that so well, right? So they're better at crisis management, but the team was really good at solving. We, we all had our roles. Communicating to executives was very important. I took that on because they had to know how is this impacting their business. I mean, one of the worst things that can happen is when a payroll system goes down. Can you believe that? That's the worst. Because if people can't get paid, nobody's showing up to work. Right? So when something would happen like that, I would have to make sure that I understood the impact. What were the biz- alternatives if we couldn't get something up and running? How do I calm them down? Right. How do I and if it's a public company, how do you calm Wall Street down if there's a really big public problem? Right. And then allow my team to work through the issues. So I'm not just like hovering over them saying we got to fix this. We got to fix this. Right. Everybody knew their role and how we get things accomplished. So so now you spend your time consulting and helping other leaders expand their, you know, their influence and and, and help them do their jobs. Uh, do you do you miss leading a large group team of people? I loved leading a large group of people, but I don't miss it. And I will tell you, because I invested so much of myself in a transformation and a culture change, that if you do that, um, I think really well for a large group of people, it basically sucks the life out of you. Okay. And so now that I'm older, I definitely enjoy helping people with transformation and leadership, but I I'm a, I hate to say this. I'm at a point in my life where I'm going to be selfish and it's about me now. And there's a lot about things about me personally. Like I never could get into a personal relationship. I was never married when I was working. And now I am in a relationship 
with a great guy who, who, by the way, has the same problems I do, which is when he's in a job, he's all in. And we both are now having a great life together. But I couldn't enable that because I was investing so much in my team. And I think as you get older and you get more confident in yourself, you now start investing in you and making yourself a priority. So I was never the priority when I was doing uh, larging, leading large groups of people. Sure, your 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 travel schedule is 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 as adventurous and and attractive as anything I've ever heard. <laughs> but uh, you could never be selfish because you always have your hand in helping someone, some organization, somewhere. Your trips are often to places where you're helping people. So you know you're, you, that's that's just who you are. I like seeing people achieve their full potential. Right, everybody has something in them to offer. How do we? And you know, I think leaders spend so much time bashing people about what they don't do well, rather than saying, "How do I amplify what you do well?" Nice, nice. If people want to get more of Beth Perlman, uh, where can they find you? On uh, we'll put LinkedIn on the. I'm on LinkedIn, and yeah, Mark can you can publish my email address. I'd be very happy to talk to anybody. Again, I love people achieving their potential. Beth was on my friend Helen Appleby's uh, the, the Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership podcast. We're going to put the link there. So we want to talk about, we talked specifically about leadership generically in this conversation. She can talk about how that was for her as a woman uh, in technology and in the C-suite back then. That was, uh, that was pretty great. Beth, thank you. This was a masterclass. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Thank you. And thank you for having me. To everybody else, I appreciate your time and attention more than you know. I love you. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.